This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here, and in association with my good friends at Preaching Today, Food for the Hungry, and Hope International University, I bring you a podcast that helps you get better at the craft of preaching and teaching and communicating the, the heartbeat of the scriptures, but always with the sheer intent that our character leads the way. And today I'm really, really excited because we get the privilege to learn from one of my mentors. I told you last episode that this is going to be a year where we are going to break down how to build a talk, how to deliver a talk, how to give feedback feedback on a given talk. But today I really want to teach you from who taught me about learning about the hermeneutic, how to prep, how to study. And I... Um, had the privilege to go to Hope International University. And uh, one of my favorite professors and people on the planet was Dr. Joe Grana. Um, he is um, somebody I just honestly want to be more like. Um, he loves the Cubs, so you know he's a good man. Um, but deep down, uh, it's his humility. It's his heart for Jesus. Um, but I took a class called the Tools class in um, college, and it it radically changed the way that I approach the scriptures and how I prep for my talks. And so thinking about who do I want to interview in regards to how to help you all get better at the heartbeat of studying the scriptures, it was really easy. It was one person, Dr. Joe Grana. So without further ado, uh, Dr. Joe Grana, who is a uh, on the teaching team at the Refinery Church outside of Phoenix, a great, great church. Uh, he teaches there 10 plus times a year, and he, he kind of helps with two month-long courses to, to help shape uh, uh, the community there, even in like biblical hermeneutic and theology, which he's just amazing. That's a great church. And then also continues a semi-retired at Hope International University, but continues to to really work with churches and um, work with the president and just allowing that mission to continue to be advanced. But without further ado, Dr. Joe Grana, welcome to the Craft and Character Podcast. Well, Steve, so good to be with you as always. Uh, love you very much and very proud of what God is doing through your life. And as you mentioned, we have this great uh, not only faith connection and uh, and uh, school connection and church connection, but we have the Cub connection. And <laughs> had the opportunity to go to the World Series and see uh, the Cubs win the only game they ever won in Wrigley Field in over 70 years and only won in that particular World Series. That was a great, great experience. Oh, man, that... When when a when a guy came up to me after a service and said, "Hey, I think I have an extra ticket to the World Series," I was like, uh, "I'll take it." I, I I was like, "I'm already going," but I know someone who who happened to be in Chicagoland, uh, and I called you, and you're like, "Yeah, I'll I'll be there. I'll yeah, be there. I'll be there. <laughs> we didn't even sit next to each other, but we were there together. It was fantastic. Exactly. So yeah. that was fun." Well, I, you know, you've taught me so much about studying the scriptures and beginning to understand um, really the heartbeat of a text. And 
I, I want to start there because why why in this day and age um, do you think having a proper or healthy hermeneutic is so important? Well, um, a lot of people quote scripture, but the problem is, from my perspective, it's often just taken out of context. It's just it's what we call reader's response. You read a text and say, well, here's my response to the text. This is what I think. And that's what a lot of home Bible studies are, actually. Well, what does this text mean to you? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to you? And, you know, that uh, it ultimately has to mean something to me or to each person there. But that's not where I think we should start. And I think that's why there's a lot of misconceptions of Scripture, misconceptions of who Jesus is, who God is. And uh, this whole concept of what's called hermeneutics, which is a fancy term, which simply means interpretation of scripture, is very, very critical. Uh, and if we're going to teach and preach, uh, we, we need at least to have a little bit of a handle on it. Yeah, and it's, it is amazing because it's, it, it really is very easy to take a passage out of its original context. You know, you know, the, the great one would be Evander Holyfield, you know, the great boxer who had Philippians 413 on his, you know, boxing shorts, you know, I can do all things. All things for practice. <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, you, you look at that and that's a very inspirational passage. Um, and it's a very meaningful word and, and it's true, but really at the context of that, in the midst of profound suffering and heartache, Paul's saying, oh, I, I can be content. I can, I can actually have nothing. I can be without. I can do all things even when I don't have. And, and then once you start to discover that, it like opens that passage up so much more. But I think for many people, they want to know how to do that or they want to be able to understand the deeper meanings. They often just don't know how. And again, that's what you helped unlock in me, which helped my preaching, it helped my pastoring, it helped my own personal, you know, formation and discipleship. So, so how do we break away from readers' response and begin this process, you know, as we're prepping for sermons, but also shaping and helping our community get deeper and deeper into the heart of God? How do you do that? Well, one of the things that I did that... Uh, connected with me and I think connected with most of the students when I uh, unpackage it, put on the board these two sentences. I hope that Indian summer comes. Let me know what the doctors say. And I say, interpret those passages. You know, what, are the, what, what does that mean? And what does it mean to you? How could you apply that to your life? And so people would come up and I said, well, Define some of these terms for me. That's, that's obviously something you need to do. And so what does Indian summer mean? Indian summer could be a, a person. It could be, a, a, you know, a time of year. Uh, it, it could be the warmth after the initial freeze. I mean, different people come up with different views of what Indian summer is. And I ask the question, well, who's right? Well, well, I, I don't know. Everybody's right because it could mean any of those. And I said, well, what about the phrase, tell me what the doctors say? Well, what kind of doctors are we talking about here? We're talking about medical doctors, theological doctors, uh, philosophers, dentists. I mean, on and on. There's all kinds of different doctors. So what is that saying? So then I, I explained to them, uh, as esoteric as this might appear on the board, this is 
a letter I wrote to my brother after having visited him in Colorado. And uh, I wrote, I hope Indian summer comes. Why did I write that? At the time he was building a, a, a cabin up at 10,000 feet outside of Gunnison, Colorado. He had cut down the trees. I helped him actually one day debark one of the logs that was gonna go into the house. And, and uh, the walls were up, but the ceiling, the roof wasn't on yet when I was there. It was in September. And he said, I hope then Indian summer comes so that uh, the snow doesn't come too prematurely and ruin the inside of my house. I want to get the roof on there first. And Indian summer, as he, of course, had defined it there, is that after it gets cold, then it gets warm. And uh, therefore, he wanted that Indian summer to expand, extend so that, uh, you know, wind snow before he got the roof on the house. Uh, he himself was a, was a doctor, was a, a surgeon, uh, but he had to cut his career short because he had some heart trouble and he had back trouble. That was the, the worst part. His heart wasn't as much a problem as his, his back. And so uh, his, his leg has gone, had gone numb. Pretty hard to do surgery leaning over somebody. if You, you don't want somebody in that condition yeah, yeah, doing yeah. surgery. On. So he was going to go in the next month or so to see his heart doctor and his back doctor. So those were the doctors. And, and when I wrote those sentences, he knew exactly what I meant. I knew exactly what I meant because we had had a conversation before. I could have said, I hope that Indian summer comes so that you get your roof on your house and it doesn't ruin your floor. But I didn't have to say all that. And I could have said, tell me what your heart doctor says and your back doctor said. But I didn't need to say that because he knew what doctors were talking about. There was a context we had that then made sense to what I wrote. And much of the Bible, particularly the New Testament, are letters. We're reading somebody else's mail. And so it's helpful to find out what the context, who wrote it, to whom did they write it, what were the circumstances, what did they mean by those terms? So those are questions that we have to ask from the get-go so that we can kind of get an idea of the context that you're talking about when you mentioned the Philippians 4 passage. Yes. And, and I think, I think that I love that example because you're right. You could read into so much. It's, it's, it's also interesting because, um, and we've talked about this many times is, you know, in, in the Jewish tradition, the rabbis would have, uh, this, this art of midrash, you know, and they, they kind of what you, as you wrote that sentence on the whiteboard and, and allowed the students to go, hmm, could it be? May it be? What, what, what is this Indian summer? What, what, who is this doctor? That part of the midrash was this opportunity of curiosity, um, to try and dive deeper into what could this be? actually intended for. And I, I think what's amazing is how quickly we don't want to do that work. Um, we just, we just go right to reader's response. Well, I, this sounds good. Or this, this will fit my message on tithing or my message on, you know, making invitations rather than actually trying to help people into the grander story. And so when you're, when you're building a talk, um, because again, you, you teach regularly, um, um, at, at, at churches and, um, you know, all over. How, how do you do this? How, how do you fight through just 
and stay curious with all of your schooling, all of your training? How do, how do you continue just to dive deeper and deeper into the text? Well, in my finer moments, and they're not always finer moments, to be honest with you, because I get caught up in the same trap. Sometimes I want to short circuit it as well. And so uh, I might even think, oh, I already know what this means. And so therefore, I just jump right to that without going through the process again, which I I think it's helpful uh, to have an attitude to look at a text as if you've never looked at it before. So you can see some new things and maybe be open to the possibility that in the past I've misinterpreted this this passage, uh, which which came to me as I might side note to your question for just a moment, yeah. a great passage, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And I always use that in context of, you know, God's just tired, deeper, looks like things from a different perspective. And that's true. But if you look at the media context of that Isaiah 55, he's talking about uh, showing mercy and forgiveness and and how God is much more merciful than we are. We, we, he forgives other people quicker than we forgive other people. He forgives us more quickly than we forgive ourselves, or he's more, more willing to anyway to, to do both of those. And so it, I took that passage out of context for a, a long time until actually I read a, a Rachel Held Evans' book and and, and she unpackaged it correctly. And I had lunch with her once and I said, uh, thank you for uh, clarifying that for me because here I teach this and I was doing the very same thing. Yeah. So you know, again, another example of how we can read into a text, what it, which it's kind of true what we read into it, but it's not what that text means. It's just like you're talking about with the Philippians 4, yeah, there's a lot of things we can do in Christ, but that those are not what that particular text means. That's not its primary purpose. So, so how do I handle that? Well, it's a, it's a simple but complex three-step process. Observation, interpretation, and application. Observation, what, what does it say? And to, to evaluate that, I just need to ask questions of the text, just ask as many questions of it as I can, whether it's defining terms or just understanding the structure of the wording or, or how it's put together. Uh, just And then also um, observing, just observe, 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 ask, ask, ask. So that's, that's the first place to start without any evaluation initially. Brainstorm, look at it, come up with all these different definitions of Indiana, Indian summer, and then you're going to start narrowing it down to find out what the text is actually meaning by that. So then secondly... Can I just jump in there real quick? And this, this I think, is really, really important for us as preachers because oftentimes we skip observation and we jump right to interpretation. So we will jump right to, oh, what does, what you know, what does, you know, Dr. Scott McKnight say, or what does Dr. Gary Burge say, or what, what, like, what, what is this, you know, great theologian or scholar who, you know, Erdman's or Baker or Zondervan has allowed them to create the, you know, this epic commentary set. What do they say? They know. Here, here's, here's what you have to remember and why observation is so important is as much as I love Dr. Scott McKnight, and he knows this, like, I, I, I love him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he doesn't know my exact context that I'm pastoring in, you know, and, and uh, like, and what you have to understand is you, 
wherever you are, if you are in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, like you have been entrusted and you know the ache and the stronghold of those people. And so I think as you're, as you're, as you're reading this and you're observing in the context, sometimes we, we, you're going to see some questions. You're going to feel some questions, but sometimes we just skip that asking of, and we jump to know what they have to think and say, and we we miss out on our own personal, unique, curious discovery and observation. So I just, I love that because it's so important for us in our context to be asking and entering into this original context before we just jump to a, a commentary. Absolutely. And then when you go through that hard work, then it becomes more a part of you. Yes. I mean, you're not just going to be preaching somebody else's ideas. You're going to preach what but God has revealed to you, what you've come to understand and study. And it'll be more real and it'll stick with you longer. Yes. As well. Yeah. So secondly, it goes from observation to interpretation. To interpretation. What does it mean? But what does it mean is in this, these two phrases. What did it mean to the original author? And what did it mean to the original audience? And this is another big step that is often just overlooked. You know, who, who is this person? That's why you ask, who wrote it? Yeah. You know, what's the mindset of that person? People say, well, how do you know that? Because, you know, they've been dead for 2,000 years. You can't know what's in somebody's mind. But there's some truth to that, but we, we do have the help of the Holy Spirit on the one hand. We do have help of, of scholars on the other. But also, when you when you read somebody's writings, whatever writing it is, it doesn't have to be scripture, uh, if you have a little bit of insight, you can see the development of thought. You can get an idea of what the author is trying to do. And so uh, that's, again, the problem of taking just the text out of context is it can mean anything. But when you put it in the context, it it means what originally meant, at least as close as we can get to it. Again, another image I use is a, is a, a puzzle. If I'm holding a, a piece of blue, what is that that blue piece that I have in my hand? Well, it could be sky, it could be a car, it could be a shirt, I mean, anything that's blue. But when I put it into the puzzle, what is that blue? Well, it's, it's sky, because that it came out of the sky in, in this particular example I'm giving. So, so it can only be sky because that's what it is. By itself, it could be a car or a shirt, but in its context, it can only be sky. Mm-hmm. And so to, to try to do the best we can there, we, and we can't always do it completely. I mean, it, it, we have some limitations, but to put it in the context of what was the author thinking, what did the recipients understand this term uh, to, to use, uh, to, to mean, and I think that's a, a very important step. Just like in my example of my letter to my brothers, when I unpackaged that, that I wrote it to my brother, we had had this conversation, and you go, oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Now, Indian summer can only mean what, what he meant under Indian summer, and doctors can only mean uh, the heart doctor and the back doctor. Yeah. When, when, when you, like, begin to try and unpack what that meant for the original audience, you know, if you're taking, like, a, a letter – um, to the Philippians, you know, or to Ephesians. Are, are there are there ways at which you go about that to try and put yourself 
in the scene or the situation to try and go, okay, um, man, this is, this is what they must have been feeling or thinking. Um, how, how, do you, how do you do that? Yeah, sometimes uh, what I think is a helpful thing to do is to become part of the story. Uh, identify with, with some aspect of it. Uh, maybe you identify with Jesus in this one, maybe with the disciples in the other, uh, the th- another one you, from the crowd's perspective, and become a, a, a participant, a, a player, if you will, uh, in, in the scene. And then you can start not only to see, but maybe even to feel what's what's going on there. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, as as, as you start to even get curious in the obs- observation and the interpretation, if you if you look at some texts, you know, sometimes, um, and you get familiar with uh, languages, you know, whether it's Greek or or Hebrew, or Aramaic. Sometimes you 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 you'll see a word that's only used uh, once or twice, you know. Um, and let's see this. Maybe you're, maybe this has changed in 20 years um, since I was, you know, in your class. But your favorite Greek word that was used, and I have not asked you about this pre. Uh, so just this is we'll see. But when I was in college, it was a word that was used, I think, 11 or 12 times. Um, do you remember this word? Splachna. Yes, yes, it's it. Splachnitsomai is a verb. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, 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 what is what's what 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 does that word mean? Well, it, it means compassion. I mean, and it it's a, was a word that meant that you get choked up, you get your stomach gets in knots. So, when Jesus had compassion on the crowds, I mean that they were like sheep without a shepherd. It, it choked him up. It made his stomach churn. It was it upset his stomach because here were people that he cared about, but they're just like sheep wandering away, and it, it got to his his gut. Yeah, yeah. And and what's so amazing is like you know I remember like just even reading about Judas and Judas uh, actually uh, you know kind of reenacting the story of Absalom in Ahithophel. He, he, he takes on the role of Ahithophel from the, from the Hebrew scriptures and he buys a field and he ends up dying by suicide. But he, that same word is used there. Yeah, his splachna came out. I mean, his, literally his splachna, yes. his guts, his yeah. intestine. <laughs> but but it's, it's, a, it's a weird place because in your observation, in your interpretation, you can start to, to, to see this, but the, the writer's going, oh my goodness, look at, look at the, the connections. Look at this word. Look at um, how how this is being translated and and um, and seen and used. I just I always think that's such a funny thing. And I just remember um, being in that class and and one the sound of that word, but the meaning of that word. But then how that word was used for compassion or just from Jesus, but even to Judas and just the range and spectrum of that word. And, and even that word, as you say it makes you feel what I've just defined it as meaning. You get choked up. You can't say spot needs some eye without you know, getting into your throat or tightening your stomach. And That's right. so it, it, it comes alive just in, in saying it. Yes, it's so good. That's so good. Okay, so we go from observation to interpretation, and then the last one is application. Application. Now, see, that's where people want to go right from the text to the application. This is what it means to me. And that's what the application, what does it mean to me? What does it mean to the church as a whole? What does it mean to me personally? What is the direct application or what is the principal application that's there? And so 
that's where people, we get a little confused. The interpretation is going to be pretty narrow as to what the author and recipients understood. Again, not 100% can we figure that out. That's why there's debates about certain texts. But, you know, we're at least trying to struggle with what their context was and what they meant. Now, when it comes to application, now there becomes a broader spectrum because of life situation, according to your experience, your age, the place you talked about being in, in uh, Alabama or if you're in Chicago or in L.A., the contexts are different if you're in Burma or Iraq. I mean, the situations are different. So that, the application might be a little bit different, but it's based upon the same principle of, of that text. And so we ask, what does it mean to me? Yeah. And so I think those three steps easy steps to kind of comprehend, but difficult to actually to go through them because you have to be very intentional at each step. Yeah. It, I, I'm curious because, and you just said this and I thought it was really fascinating um, because oftentimes our application is like you said, reader's response. What does this mean for me? But your first question out of application is what does this mean for the church? And then what does it mean for me? So, so do you start more from a grander, like, hey, I, I'm a part of something, and then that a part of something then shifts down to me? Or is that intentional, or is that just, uh, yeah? Yeah, that that is intentional. <clears throat> but again, you know, I don't always do that perfectly, because I would jump to me, or I jump just to my, me, my immediate context within my the people that I'm ministering to. But I need to really look at it from a more collective point of view. I've had recent discussions with the lead pastor in uh, in Arizona, Chad Goucher, and uh, reading a couple of books. One is um, misreading scripture with individualistic eyes, yes, or misreading scripture with Western eyes. And there's the whole point of this book or these books are is we have a tendency to individualize things here in the West. Where in the Middle East, when scripture was written, it was more collective. And so a lot of times passages that we apply to us were meant for all of Israel or all of the church rather than the individuals. Individuals were a part of that, but it wasn't to the individual. It was to the group. But we, because we are so individualistic uh, in our culture and even more so here on the West Coast, I think, um, that we look at only personally instead of collectively when we ought to look at it collectively and then personally. So, yeah, what does it mean to the church? What does it mean to me? I think is a, an important step. But it's hard to do because of how we're ingrained yeah, in our no. culture. I think it's really, really important. Well, okay, so so selfishly, I always want to bring this down to the ground to help as many people as possible. You know, just uh, there are there are a number of people who are pastoring, preaching on the regular. Uh, there's a number of people who are just starting out. They're emerging voices. And um, you, you, this has been such a helpful process for me. Uh, selfishly, I, I'm, you know, this whole year walking through uh, Luke and Acts with our church. And um, I'm, I'm up coming up in with Luke chapter four. And so I, I, I'm curious just, you know, how to play this little OIA observation, interpretation, application, um, and just to kind of see, and maybe if we just did a little section of, um, chapter four, where Jesus gets rejected at Nazareth. So maybe I'll, I'll just read this and then maybe we could start with, Hey, how, 
what does observation look like with Luke four for you? And then, Hey, how would you go with interpretation? And then, um, you know, what, what, what was application like? And again, you, I didn't give this to you beforehand. So this is not like you, you, this is like real time. Put me on the spot, right? Put me on the spot, right? Because, and, and and that's part of that, like that prep piece. Cause I want, I want people to like feel it, see it, get it. So I'll read verses. Maybe we'll go 14 through 21. So seven, eight verses. It says this, Jesus returned to Galilee and the power of the spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened to him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I'll read verse 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. So observation, where where, where do you begin with that? Well, we start with who wrote it. Is is Luke, Doctor Luke, and to whom did he write it? Theophilus to to a, a person, and of course, some question who is Theophilus and whether he's an individual or some people think he's a, it's a church because his name means friend or lover of God. Yep. And so, is this an individual whose name means that, or is it more generic saying? The church is the friend and the lover of God. I, I tend towards the individual uh, myself, um, but you know that's that's part of what we have to think through and and come to some conclusion about. And then um, you know one thing about the context is you have different contexts when you're dealing with a text, particularly the, the Gospels. I think because you have Jesus and his audience, you have Luke and his audience. And then you have yourself and your audience. So you, you have different layers of this, and you kind of have to think that through and ask some of these questions. Okay, what did Jesus and his immediate audience have to say? What was Luke trying to say through this? And now what do I say to the people to whom I'm, I'm preaching? So um, in looking at the observation, I have to see what did what came before the fourth chapter? You, now you've preached before that, so you already have given some of that, and you, you may have to remind people that were there the week before, and then some people aren't going to have been there the week before, and so you have to inform them in some way to kind of get them up to speed. But there, there's a flow. Uh, Luke is a good historian, and his good historians uh, tell stories, but they're, they're not side by side. They're linked together. And so what, what was the link there to this? And what's the next link afterwards to try to understand, you know, what is Luke, where is Luke going with this? Yeah. And, and, and so that's part of the asking the questions and making the observations. Uh, just one observation that I recall from this text when he's quoting from Isaiah 61, he leaves out 
part of verse two and he inserts part of uh, 58.6, if my memory serves me correctly. And you asked, so one of the questions, well, why doesn't Jesus just read the whole text, right? Why does he leave part of it out? And why is he inserted a, a verse, uh, part of a verse in the other one? And so that, that's part of this whole thing. What, what's he doing here? Mm-hmm. And of course, this is kind of his inaugural address, at least in, in Luke. It's his first sermon, if you will. And so he's kind of laying out, I think, his administration, uh, where he's going, what his ministry is going to be. And then the, the rest of Luke and Acts is depicting that as he's saying, I'm going to give sight to the blind and to which I think is both physical and spiritual. Uh, those who are in prison, both physical and spiritual, et cetera. And then the rest of the book shows how he ministers to the down and outers and the, the book of Acts of how he, the church does that uh, after Jesus goes. So just trying to see that development of thought and how this you know, lays a foundation for the, everything else that's going to come in, in the book. Um, so that, that, that I'm going over into some of the interpretation with that too. So the observation is observe that, asking the questions, what's going on here? Interpretation is what was the author saying and to the recipients, and then we, we can get to ourselves. So let, let me stop there and see if, if you want to ask a, or make an observation yourself. Yeah, well, I have a couple questions with that. First is like when, I love when you laid that out, um, almost the Jesus and his listeners, disciples, listeners, who's who's watching this, observing this. Oh, you, you also have um, in the observation, which is interesting, this is actually pre-Jesus having disciples. You know what I mean? This, so like Luke 5 is him going to get it, but like you have this, this synagogue congregation that's listening to this. But you have Luke and his audience. And like you said, we in our congregations. When you're developing a, a, a sermon, are there times that you have clear language to delineate this? You know, and it could be so simple as like, as you can see, Jesus is intending for this, or Luke wants you to see this, or, you know, like, because I think sometimes what often happens even in our congregations is they all feel like the same and our people can't always uh, decipher, oh, was that Luke's intent? Was that Jesus' intent? Was that Pastor Melissa or Pastor Chad's intent? Does that make sense? Like, absolutely. Are there ways at which you clearly um, kind of bifurcate that, I guess, in a way? Well, uh, again, one in my finer moments, the answer is yes. And others, (laughs) I've got to blur it together as well. I mean, just trying to be uh, very honest with you. Sometimes I'm not always uh, as distinctive as, as I ought to be. But and then I think it can be a simple phrase. Um, and I think that's true of, of any of this. You know, maybe there's a particular word that's used. And you can say, and, and you can choose. And, and you're good with the languages, and particularly with Hebrew. And, and there's a fun part of that and a, a, also a way that gets people to remember things. Uh, you, and you can choose to use the term or you can just say, the word that's used here means. Yeah. And behind all that is all this other study. So that's why you you can't preach because of time limitations and because of where people are at, uh, all the things that you've studied or you've thought about. And sometimes you just have to, have to summarize it in a sentence. And that might have been an hour's work 
yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that sentence, but now yeah. you've you've gotten down to the bottom line of it. So, so I, I, that's what that's maybe part of what we're getting across here is you don't have to, and you can't give everything that you've gotten from the text because it could be too tedious, it could be too much, or it, 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 it'll get people sidetracked and miss the the point. Yes. Well, later this year, we're going to actually talk about what I think is one of the hardest parts in building a talk is the art of elimination. Knowing what is going to serve the the overall arc and intent and move where the spirit wants to take this teach and being able to surrender to that reality. But sometimes we're like, yeah, but that that word is so fun to say. And, and yeah, yeah. but it, it's gonna take you and you're gonna waste four minutes. You're gonna waste seven minutes. You're gonna you you, right. you give people an off-ramp into where actually this text or the intent um of the the writer or what I think the spirit of what that message needs to be. And so, but it's especially for younger communicators, you 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 sometimes in your insecurity want everyone to know that you know what you're yes. talking about. Um but they don't need to know. They don't need to know. Exactly. That's right. So, so. You don't have to impress them. You want to communicate to them. Exactly. Exactly. So let's move. Okay. So now, now we're kind of into this interpretation piece. We've read those seven verses, eight verses. Help, help me go. Where, where do you go with that? Well, in, in this text, um, you, what, what was, what was, I'm got to go back to Jesus first. Yeah. You know, what was he trying to do and what did the people understand him to do? And, and you know, one of the problems of this text is, is that they, they, they end up wanting to throw him off the cliff, too. Yes, that's right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a few verses later. And so they, get, they, they do kind of understand and they don't like what they're hearing. Yes, yes. <laughs> so sometimes you have to be careful. Uh, of even yourself, I guess people might do the same thing to you. Yep. Um, but interpreting it as to you know what what he what he's trying to say about what is my what is my ministry about? What am I? Why did I come here? And I'm telling you what I'm I'm doing and where I'm going, and I'm going to live that out. And, you know, I think that that that's where I want to be is where Jesus was at and what he was saying. Yeah. And, and that Luke is going to carry that out also in the rest of his gospels I've mentioned in the book of Acts. Yep. I don't know if I, I didn't quite exact, exactly have to answer your question. I don't think. No, no. I think, I think actually you did, because I think what's, what's amazing is, you know, in, in that, that observation part, like you have to, it's linked previously, but also you got to see what's after. And right. you know, I, I do think it's ironic that, you know, the th right after that, you know, they're, they're like, they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? And Jesus hears them and he quotes, hey, physician. It's basically like, hey, Luke, hey, doctor, you know, <laughs> heal yourself and, and, and you will tell me, you know, and, and I think that there's this, this piece of, man, we can love the words but how quickly it can turn to, but Jesus, I need you to do this. Like, and, right. and just the, the human response, oh, uh, do what you did in Capernaum and with, for us. Like, we're, we're your hometown. We're your people, you know? And it just, it just, it, it, it really gets, I think, sets up what the application is because yes. once you start to see all oh, the, the, the human nature, of it, um, even this context, 
Um, I, I find myself just fascinated when you say like this inaugural address, you know, when we think of, you know, the, the last number of presidents that we've, we've had who've come out, you know, in, you know, whether they're running for office and they've got their, you know, vision and mission, um, Jesus chose Isaiah 61 and didn't choose all of it, chose parts of it. And just like the cognitive dissonance of, oh, that's really gracious. Those are really nice words. Um, well, we want you to, we, but you work for us and we want you to do this. And yes. just, I, I, I think that there's so much there, um, in the, in the context that just, man, I, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Um, talk about the application piece. How, 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 as you start to build your talk, is that typically for you last? And, um, and then, and then the question is what's typically the easiest or most fun for you and what's the hardest for you in this OIA process? Yeah, Typically I go to it last, but sometimes as I'm doing the text and I will throw in some application at that point. Yep. So it's a both and though I lean more towards last and later I, I try to have work through the text. I try to get people to think. Yeah. And so hopefully that they'll come into their own understanding. And when, when I, when I say, well, here's how we can apply this, they go, Oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense based upon where it's gone. So that, that, that's the norm, if you will, but sometimes it's throw tidbits in there. Yeah. And in this, I think it becomes um, for me, pretty clear because he said that's what he was going to do. Then that's what we need to do with those different groups of people and to minister to them. That and and with the the fifty six, uh, the fifty eight six, yeah, uh, verse that he throws in that, that little part. You know, he he's concerned, and I, I hesitate to use a term because of the connotation it has, but. You know, Jesus is concerned about social justice. And I mean that in the good sense of the word, not maybe in the way that it's typically done. And that's why he does these things. He's concerned about people in all these situations, both physically, but spiritually as well. And, and, and I think that becomes the important part is to, to be the both and rather than just just one side of that. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's so spot on, you know. I mean, when I, I remember one moment studying and and realizing you know, uh, a very, very, very beautiful passage of the first church, Acts 2, 42 to 46. And you're, and you're looking at these words and you're realizing, oh, wow, they devoted themselves to prayer, uh, to the preaching, um, to um, bread, um, and, and like to fellowship. And, and then you start reading and you realize like people were like forgiving debts and there was like this joy and people were adding to their, their days, you know, like, just like they're adding to the number of people who were in the church, this first church was just expanding and growing. And I, I remember just like reading this, I was like, man, this is really, really fascinating because in some ways it feels like the incarnation of the Lord's prayer, you know, and the Lord's prayer, both spiritually true debts, forgiveness, but also when you're living in occupation, that's very tangible. Like, don't lose your land to Rome. Um, bread, very, very spiritual, but very, very tangible when you're living in occupation. And you realize, like, after the ascension and after the, the after Pentecost, you have this this first church that's kind of going, well, what do we do? Well, the Lord's Prayer. That was the mission, the vision. Like, like, let's go. Let's just do that. And it's like, it expanded, you know? And so it's, it's, it's amazing to see all of these links and connections and, and pieces that I think truly are both 
profoundly spiritual and profoundly physically tangibly, like yes. what we can embody and put into practice. Um, exactly. Are there tips that you often, because I, I love listening to you preach, are there, are there tips for you when you think about how to create helpful and healthy application? Well, sometimes, you know, some next steps, some one, two, threes can be a helpful thing. Yep. Other times, it depends on the text and maybe where I'm at at the time that um, I leave it open-ended for the congregation to come to their own conclusion. Yeah. You know, or, or just ask some questions at the end to get them to think of how they can take this and make it meaningful. Yes. So it's, it's, it's so I think different approaches rather than just one approach. Yep. It, it would be my uh, my style, the way I do it, in a way that I think is is helpful. Yeah. No, that's so good. Well, Dr. Grana, this has been super helpful, and I, I I hope for every one of you, like just in that sense of looking at that O and that I and that A, the observation, interpretation, application, this, this could be really helpful for, for prep. Um, uh, the other little pieces I would say is, you know, as you, if you're going to do a study in a book, um, really study to learn who are some of the foremost scholars around that book. I, I, uh, for me personally, I don't have a lot of massive commentary sets I just look to see who's the scholar who's given right. their life to Corinth or to yes. understanding the life of Esther. So, so just in that, I'm not saying there's any shade towards massive commentary sets. No, they're, they're they're good, but the deeper that you can give and find to to look at that, it's going to really help you with your interpretation. Um, Dr. Grana, I also want to just say this: like you, um, you for me have been a a model of um, humility. Um, you're just someone that like I. For me and for many of you know my friends who took your classes, like just someone who we, we want to be more like, and um, and you, you you're continuing to preach, you're continuing to pastor, you you know you and um, the president of Hope. Even when I, I went through one of my most difficult seasons in ministry, got on a plane and flew from California to Chicago. Like you, um, you live what you preach, um, and it's one of the most beautiful parts for me just of um, getting to learn um, from you. Um, how is a, how is both this academic um, husband, father, grandfather, friend, pastor, um, someone who's been like giving your life to study um, and you probably have all this insight like splachna and all these cool words. And yet you, you still, I feel like when we get together, you, you always are, teaching me or sharing with me what you're learning. How, how does, and again, this whole, this whole podcast really, I want people to get better at the craft of teaching and preaching communication. Cause I think our, our churches need better preaching, but I, for me, deep down, I want the embodiment of our preachers character to lead the way. And I think that's something that you've just done. You've been one of those examples for me. Um, how, how, how do you do that? Um, and like, are, are there certain practices? Are there certain ways that you just go, man, this, this for me, like, and maybe it's not for, for every season, but in this season, maybe start in 2023, but this, these are, these are ways at which I allow um, or fight to have my character lead the way. For New Year's Day, 
But what we did at Refinery is each of the four teaching pastors just shared, a, you know, three to five minute. Uh, what do we hope will happen in 2023? Where, where are we going? And as I thought about that, and I, what it came down to for myself uh, is Luke 2.52, where Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And to me, that states that he was a well-balanced person. Uh, he, he grew physically and mentally, socially and spiritually. And that's kind of where I, I want to go. So I've, I've, the physical becomes part of that. I want to eat a healthy except for my occasional binge on ice cream. But I'm not going to beat myself up over. I'm going to just enjoy it and then be careful for a while before I do that again. <laughs> I want to keep walking. Um, I try to walk five miles a day. I don't do that every day, but, you know, that's kind of my goal. And so I want to to take care of myself physically. I want to do it uh, mentally, um, wisdom-wise. So I want to continue to study. I want to read, grow. I'm impressed by Paul. He's in prison, and he says to Timothy, bring my parchments. You know, he, and, and I suppose those could have been for writing, but I think they are also uh, his books, if you will. Yeah. Uh, he wanted to review those books. He wanted to read them again. And so he continued to grow and and so I, I continue to want want to do that as well. I, as I mentioned to you, tomorrow is my birthday. I, when we're recording this, uh, I'll be 74 tomorrow. Hard for me to believe that, to tell you the truth. Because when I look through these eyes, I look at the world at like a 25-year-old. The, the problem is, is when I look in the mirror, <laughs> those eyes don't look like they're 25 anymore, <laughs> as you can readily tell. But uh, I want to grow mentally. I want to get stagnant. Uh, I want to grow socially. And, and I've kind of analyzed this. I was, used to be a little bit more of an extrovert than I am now, more of an introvert. Um, uh, but I want to balance my extroversion and my introversion. I used to be really good about uh, working the room in the good sense of the word, not, not just playing the room. Just I wanted to see people and work the room. I wanted to make sure I saw everybody and talked to them. And so uh, I, I need to, to balance my introversion, my, my extroversion. And then uh, spiritually, I want to grow closer to God, worship him more. I want the Holy Spirit to work, work through me. So I guess in answer to your question, I'm, I want to be a well-balanced person. Uh, you know, some people are the, the dumb jocks and they're, they're strong, but there's they're not too much up there. I mean, that's that stereotype. Yeah. And you have the nerds who are so brilliant, but they're, they have difficulty socially because they're, they're just, they don't quite fit in. Uh, some people are so spiritual and so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. And so just to, to be a person and, you know, my, my, my grandkids don't think of me as, as a former dean and special president, uh, assistant to the president and somebody with degrees, da, da, da. I'm, I'm Papa. <laughs> I'm running around the house and playing games and playing basketball, whatever, with them. And uh, that, that, that's where we all have to live our, our real life. And then uh, some people are just the social butterflies or they're the hermits. They, they, they have a hard time connecting with people. So all, all that to say, I want to be a well-balanced person as I can be in all those areas and just be human, just yeah. be me. 
and be blessed and to know God and to serve him and to know people like you and to be encouraged and, and um, inspired by you, Steve, you, you inspire me. Thanks. Thank you. Well, I love that. I love just even how a, a one verse can just open up so much, you know, and it just, uh, I love that from Luke 2 verse 52. Um, you know, one of the, the great pieces, you know, um, is, is that hope has like joined and they're, they're in support of this podcast and they, they just believe in what we're trying to do and um, raise up preaching and, and help in that regard. Um, th- one of the cool things about hope and especially in their ministry program is there's this honors scholarship. And I just, I, you know, you were, you were really influential in helping kind of start this scholarship uh, many years ago, but I think there's a lot of people who are unaware of, of it. And I just thought maybe, Hey, for some of you who are pastors and you, you see that like, man, education, college education costs so much. Um, where can I send my kid to get a, a really great education? But they want, they really want to go into ministry and be prepared. And, you know, there's been a number of great pastors today who, you know, were at Hope, who got trained and, and grew and and really in in wisdom and, and in connection with some great uh, professors like yourself and others um, that really prepared them. Like it prepared me for the opportunity to, to serve congregations. So I, I'm curious, would you just mind talking a little bit about that um, at our, as we close? We, we really want to support those who want to go into ministry and keep them out of debt in that process. Uh, Tuition is pretty high, you know, it's over $30,000 a year, but for the honors program, it's $12,000 a year, $6,000 a semester for the traditional undergrad student. And so we, we hope that is a, a great help uh, to, 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 to give it at that cost. And um, when it comes to the online, we can also offer some other scholarships, not as hefty as what I've just said, because part of it is the tuition is different as well. But we can give some scholarships there as well, both in the undergraduate, but also the graduate programs for those who want to get a Master of Arts or a Master of Divinity degrees. So we just want to be as supportive as we can because that, that, that's who we are. That's, that's our heartbeat. And we have all different kinds of majors and we, we want those because we believe in the priesthood of believers. You know, the first two graduates of Pacific Bible Seminary were uh, one was a, a pastor and one was a business person. And so we think that that's great. We see business as mission, and and that's what we wanted to to help students to come to understand as they have different occupations that they're still in ministry uh, of some sort, uh, whatever their fields would be. Uh, but the heartbeat is is, is Bible and uh, and is ministry, and so we're just trying to help out in that regard. I love it. I love it. It was it's just such an awesome opportunity. I've known a number of us. Uh, younger emerging voices who have been able to come and instead of like graduating with, you know, 50, 70, hundred thousand dollars of debt. And I know some pastors who have, who have done that. Um, they're getting the chance to, to walk with very little, if any debt, which is just so, so beautiful. And they're freed up to do kingdom work, uh, without being kind of just bogged down by the, the weight of, uh, just having to pay off those student loans. And so, um, it's a great education. Hey, if there's ever any, of you who want to like talk more about that, you can always email me steve at steveryancarter.com and I'll, I'll put you in contact with the right people so that you can learn more about that honors um, scholarship and opportunity. If you have a, 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 
you know, someone who's on your staff, who's, you know, through the online program could get developed because you see something in them or maybe as a student um, in your student ministry or even um, your own child that you think this would be the next right step. Hit me up, Steve at steveryancarter.com, and I'd love to connect you. Um, but Dr. Grana, thank you, thank you, thank you for the time. Thanks for for helping us kick off 2023, learning about observation, interpretation, application. And I really hope for all of our listeners, this will really help shape us and guide us as we dive deeper into the heart of the word so that we can share it with our people. Um, remember, for any of you who have been following along with Food for the Hungry, we, we set up that opportunity to give, to really help um, those that are hurting in, in Africa. And so maybe if your church uh, had a really strong year end and you want to give, um, again, reach out. I'd love to help connect you. Um, there's an amazing opportunities of goodness that Food for the Hungry is doing. Um, and then also preaching today. They want to serve you. They've been serving me and my prep and you can uh, you can just sign up by order PT now um, slash CC30 and you will basically save 30% off their monthly subscription and it's so cheap, but it's so helpful for your soul and for your study. So with that, my friends, much love, grace and peace, and I'll see you soon. Thank you. This episode was brought to you in part by the audio adventure series, Discovery Mountain. Help your kids fall in love with the Bible. Each true-to-life adventure story will draw them closer to Jesus. Visit discoverymountain.com CT.